Amen. Grab a seat. Uh, as Casey said, my name is Daniel. I am one of the elders and pastors here at Aletheia Church. It's good to see each and every one of you on this bright and beautiful Sunday morning. If you are new with us, let me say welcome. It's a joy and an honor and a privilege to have you here with us. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. You can come and talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Kevin or one uh, or someone at the Connection Desk. Uh, after service today, we would love to answer any questions you might have. Also, uh, here at Lathia Church, we go through books of the Bible, and we have been in the Gospel of John for several months. And each and every time we go through a book of the Bible, we hand out scripture journals so that you can take notes and keep record of what it is God is saying to you during these moments on Sunday morning. So if you would like a scripture journal, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one so that you can take notes for the message today. Anybody? Anybody? All right, one right over here. So, yeah, one in the back. Okay, good. Uh, kiddos, also, if you haven't left for your class, you can do that as well. I think everybody's gone. All right, today we're going to get started. We're going to be a little interactive. And so whether you are taking notes with a pen or pencil on a piece of paper, or you are doing that on some electronic device, I would like you to write or type down these four words you see up on the screen behind me. And just put them just like they are, relationship, understanding, interest, and seeking. Okay, the, the first two are for those of you who are actually in some type of relationship. You're, you're dating, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, engaged, married. And what I would like you to do with those two words out beside it, I would like you to score on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest, just how satisfied you are in your current relationship. Now, yeah. Now, in order to be obedient to Philippians 4 and to maintain peace and unity among the body, you are not allowed to look over at your partner's paper, okay? Y'all can have that fight at home. Also, I would like you to write down on a scale of 1 to 10 how well you think you understand the other person that you are in a relationship with this morning. Now, for those of you who are not currently in a relationship, on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to write down, with 10 being the highest, what is your current interest into finding or getting into a relationship this morning? And lastly, if you are not in a relationship, just how hard are you seeking to be in a relationship? How, how much effort are you putting out there? You know, back in my day, you had to have courage and go ask someone out. Apparently today you guys just swipe left and right. have no idea what that is. Never done that. Um, but apparently there, there, there are apps that allow you to do that. Okay. Now I, I ask you this because one, it kind of engages your brain, engages your mind, gives you a little insight into where we, we might be going. But in reality, I, I want us to also ask these questions concerning our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so out, out about the side of that, I want you to score this in all four categories the exact same way. Right now, in, in thinking about your relationship with the Holy Spirit, how, how satisfied are you with your relationship with the Holy Spirit? On a scale of 1 to 10, how well do you think you understand the Holy Spirit? How interested are you in the things of the Spirit? And lastly, just how hard are you actually seeking 
after the Holy Spirit and His influence in your life. You know, for me, this is something that really goes up and down and waves in my life. There, there are times where I have just been so passionate about pursuing the Holy Spirit that when I became a, a believer right before I graduated from Auburn and I moved to Texas, I, I got some friends. Uh, you know, I'd grown up kind of in and around the Baptist church, but I met some new friends, some people who thought about the Holy Spirit differently than I did. One was Bapticostal, one was Pentecostal, and one was a full-fledged charismatic, okay? And there is a difference between Pentecostal and charismatic if you dare to dive into their world. And so I got really interested. I was, I was really reading things about the Holy Spirit, and I was really trying to learn as much as I could. And at one point, I, I got a private invite in, into a room of about 100 people where there were two men who were renowned around the world when it came to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One was the whatever the American equivalent of the uh, of Billy Graham is, this guy was in Africa. He had crusades way bigger than Billy Graham had ever had here in the United States. His name is Reinhard Bunke, if that uh, means anything to anyone in the room. And I was with him and a guy named Steve Hill who led the Brownsville Revival that was a part of Florida. And these guys were known for you know, imbuing the gifts of the Spirit onto people because I was, you know, if there was more power to be had in this new walk that I had with God that had already so radically changed my life, if it involved healing and speaking in tongues, whatever that meant prophesying, I wanted it as a follower of Jesus. And I was searching and seeking as hard and as desperate as I could. And I got invited to this room and they're laying hands on people. They're praying over people. People are falling out. Things are, are supposedly happening in the room. They finally get to me. They lay hands on me. Like I'm thinking this here, this is my moment. And they pray and they pray and they pray and they go away and nothing. And with that, in that moment, I said, I want nothing else to do with the Holy Spirit. And for seven years, it was just this total dry desert of my life to where it just was not something that I sought after and was interested in whatsoever because I had put so much effort into it and got so burned by that moment that I didn't want anything else to do with it. And slowly over time, God brought me back around. God worked in my life. I found a much more healthy balance with the Holy Spirit in conferences and things that I had attended. And so now it's a much more balanced view of the Holy Spirit. And you may have had some moments like this in your life. But the question we need, to, we need to always be asking ourselves is, what is our interest in the Holy Spirit? And some, some of this might really interest us because of the power dynamic, because of the sign, the miracle, the speaking in tongue dynamic. And some of it may, may scare us. And so my goal today is I'm, I'm going to give you the entire comprehensive view of everything that Jesus says in the Gospel of John about the Holy Spirit. And so my goal is not to dwell in the realm of subjectivity with the Holy Spirit, but I want to give you very objective statements from Jesus. And you're going to get about eight to ten like very concrete, specific things about the Holy Spirit. And my encouragement to you is that these become the baseline foundation from which you build your theology and your interaction with the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life. Because if you remember in this passage, we, we are here where, where Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Chapters 13 through 17 is known as the last discourse. Jesus takes this very concentrated moment in time, 
five whole chapters in our Bible to teach the disciples one-on-one. And this is the first time he introduces the Spirit. So it's very important that Jesus makes all of his statements within this. And he does it with his last words. So here's how you know it's super important. Because these are Jesus' last words to the disciples and his first words about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is super important. Now, we've already covered three of these statements. And some of you may be saying, well, hold on, I missed those. Don't worry, we're going to briefly go through those this morning. So I want you to see all five statements that Jesus makes about the Holy Spirit. Number one, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so right here are five foundational, amazing things that Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit, okay? One, he is your helper, okay? You need to write this down. This is one of his titles. He also gets the title of comforter, but you will notice most often in John, he is referred to as the helper. This is a title that God uses to refer to himself over and over throughout the Old Testament. So therefore, that's why we see this is the third person of the Trinity, that he is given this same title that Yahweh gives to himself within the Old Testament. So he is to be our helper. He is also going to be with us forever. That is the second thing you know. He is going to be with us forever. The third thing Jesus notes about the Holy Spirit is that He is the Spirit of truth. Okay? So what the Holy Spirit says, what He does, what He speaks will always be true. Will always be right. The world cannot see Him. He is not for those who are not followers of Jesus. He is only for the followers of Jesus because they can neither see Him nor know Him. But you, you as the followers of Jesus, you actually know Him. And then He says these two more amazing things. He dwells with you and He will be in you. So if you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells with you. Like He is here He is in this room. He is filling this place. He is with us, gathered as the saints. But if you are a saint, if you are a child of God, right now, He lives, breathes, and dwells within you no matter how apparent, no matter how visible you think He might be in your life. No no matter how aware you are that He is dwelling in you right now. So that's five major things Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in His first statement about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. In chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here Jesus adds two more things onto his instruction about the Holy Spirit. Number one, he is to teach you. So if you've ever had this moment in your life where you're sitting there and you've read some passage innumerable times and then all of a sudden, boom, you just get this amazing moment of clarity. And it's like, 
How have I never seen this before? Like, did someone insert these words into the Bible today for the very first time? Because I can swear I've read this a hundred times before. I've never seen this. That is the Holy Spirit giving you enlightenment, teaching you, personally applying something to you at the right moment, at the right time, so that you have clarity, so that you gain this insight, this understanding, and this truth. That is one of His roles as part of His job in His working inside of your life. But not only that, he is also responsible for bringing to remembrance all that Jesus has said. And so I think sometimes we treat our walk with Jesus in such a way that we're just like, all right, the Holy Spirit says he's going to do this. So, you know, I don't need to really like read scripture or memorize scripture or learn scripture. I'm just going to get in a spot one day. And if I ever need it, then he'll just speak this to me. Now, yes, he does do that. However... The way he primarily works in this is that as we study God's word, as we learn God's word, as we memorize God's word and we get it from our mind, and which is the longest distance in the entire world from our mind all the way the 18 inches to our heart, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance when we need it most the things that he has already taught us from the word of God as we have invested our lives into reading God's Word, knowing that God's Word cuts us like a double-edged sword, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Also, we get John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27 that Kevin covered last week. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth. Notice how Jesus just keeps layering this on over and over and over. When Jesus repeats himself about something, he's telling you these are the base facts and the foundation. So he's the helper. He's sent from the Father. He's the Spirit of truth. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here we get statement, we get foundational statements eight and nine about the Holy Spirit that. He will bear witness. The primary job of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness about Jesus, to point to Jesus, to magnify Jesus, to exalt Jesus, to make all things about Jesus. And the primary way He does that in the world is through me and through you. Because He bears witness through us as we bear witness to the world. So, so far, you have gotten your money's worth today, okay? You've already got nine amazing foundational statements about the Holy Spirit that you can take with you from the rest of your life to build your relationship upon the Holy Spirit with. Now, now we're going to jump into the heart of today's passage, John chapter 16, verses 4b through 15. And there are three important things that we're going to cover today that I want you to write down. And these are the three sections that we're going to look at in today's passage. Number one, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. We're going to look into this just in a minute. He convicts the world at large, so those who are not followers of Jesus. And number three, He exalts and glorifies the Son. So some of this we've already seen, but we're going to dive into this just a little bit deeper. And so the first thing we're going to deal with is the indwelling of the believer and why this is such an awesome, amazing, and wonderful thing. 
In John chapter 16, verses 4b through 7, the Word of God says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, it's very strange. You've got to imagine being in the disciples' shoes, right? That this is like the worst news ever in the entire world that Jesus just said, I'm going away, but yet He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when I preached out of John chapter 14, verses 1 through 8, leading into that section of John chapter 14, at the end of chapter 13, Jesus has just delivered to the disciples the three worst pieces of news they could ever imagine hearing. I mean, remember, these are young people. Some say as young as 16, 17 years old, maybe in their early 20s, maybe in their late 20s. But much like the people in this room, they had left behind everything that they had been taught in their life. They had left behind their family. They had left behind their work. They had left behind all the dreams and visions that their parents and their family, that they even had for themselves to go follow this poor itinerant preacher who's doing some miracles and doing some pretty awesome stuff. But it has already cost them a lot. And Peter recognizes this and you know complains about this to Jesus at one point as they're going around. And Jesus has just told them, after them having made all that sacrifice, I'm about to leave and where I'm going, you can't come. And then he layers on top of that, oh, and by the way, one of you is about to betray me. Oh, and the guy who's the leader, he's going to deny me. So they've just been to deliver these three terrible pieces of news, and now, and now they're sitting here having to deal with all of this. And so Jesus here again picks back up on this to tell them that, hey, I am leaving you. Where I'm going, you can't come, but here's what you need to know and need to realize that you haven't seen yet. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I'm not here any longer. And so the question is, how is it an advantage? And there's two massive advantages for us as the children of God. And so number one focuses on the ministry, on the, on the gospel proclamation itself. Because if you think about it, and if you've seen the stories, you've read the stories about Jesus in the gospel, you know that wherever Jesus went, what happened? Massive crowds followed. I mean, once word got out that there was this guy who could lay hands on the leprous and their skin disease automatically healed, you think that got people's attention? Once they heard there was this guy who could go up and spit in the dirt and rub some mud on somebody's eyes and they would regain their sight. Or there was this guy who was defying the religious leaders and would say, hey, stretch out your hand. And his hand is healed right in front of him. When people would come up, hey, my daughter's about to die. Go on, your daughter's well. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, the people were clamoring around him. So just imagine today, right now, if Jesus was still here upon the earth, where would we all be? We would all want to be in Israel with Jesus, getting, a, getting a, just a touch of Jesus, just a taste of Jesus. We don't, we'd want to see Jesus in that way. 
But Jesus said, no, it's, it's advantageous that I go away because when I leave, the ministry gospel proclamation no longer is localized. Now it can become globalized. Now this thing can go all around the world. Now it's not going to be limited to some little place here in the Middle East where only I am doing work because the Holy Spirit is now going to indwell you so that you can take the work that I am doing and you can take it around the world. So the great advantage to us as the church is that when the Holy, when Jesus leaves and the Holy Spirit comes, we go from a local phenomenon to a global phenomenon. But not only that, the second big advantage of Him living in us and dwelling in us is that now we can actually be obedient to the commandments of God. I mean, think back all the way to John chapter 14 where Jesus just said right before He introduces the Holy Spirit in verse 15, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Now how well did you do that before Jesus came into your life? How well did you do that before the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life, becoming the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance? I know how well I did it. Terrible. We all did. Because life was all about us. So it is such an advantage that the Holy Spirit indwells. Because Jesus says, I mean, you know, we are supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as ourselves. Can any of us do that without the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every one of us? It's impossible for us to obey the commandments of God unless the Spirit of God lives inside of us. That is the second way in which the Holy Spirit indwelling us is a massive advantage to us. So one, it takes the ministry of Jesus from local to global, and it actually gives us the ability and the power to be obedient and to love Jesus as He has called us to love Him. It has been said, and this is, this is kind of a shocking statement that I would encourage you just to meditate on. The Spirit within us is better than the Jesus beside us. That's worth writing down. The Spirit within us is better than the Jesus beside us. Spend some time thinking about that one this week. The second section of Scripture that we're going to cover out of John 16 today is John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Here Jesus says, and when He comes, let me just point out that the Holy Spirit does have a preferred pronoun, and it is He. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I did a lot of reading into, into this. I did a lot of studying in the commentaries into this passage. And there's something that D.A. Carson points out, who is a commentator that we all know and love here among the pastors and elders of this church. He, he says something very interesting. And he, he goes in this very, very long technical argument about it. But I think it's very helpful for this passage because we're kind of asking, well, what does this mean concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment? And he justifies from the Greek, and I think he's right. And even if he's not, it's still very helpful. 
If you would put in in the margins right there concerning its sin, concerning its righteousness, concerning its judgment. Jesus is making this a very personalized thing for the world so that when we talk about this, we're, we're talking about the world's sin. We're talking about the world's righteousness and the world's judgment. And just, just follow along with me here and you'll, you'll see how this how it plays itself out. But if you're in your notes and in your scripture, I'd put that it's uh, right there in before all three of those. And um, so he says, first off, um, this is about concerning its sin. Now, in case we don't know what sin is, let me just make it very clear. The word sin is, is an archery term. It's a Greek word called hamartia, and it just means to miss the mark, all right? We all know that in archery, the goal is to hit the what? The bullseye, all right? So sin is just you not hitting the bullseye. God has given us 613 commandments in the Old Testament, and we have not done too well at hitting the bullseye every single time throughout our lives. And so when it comes to sin, Jesus gives us a, a list, for example, in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 20 through 23. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things. And just know, you know, we, we don't like that word evil very much, do we? We feel that as a very harsh, very mean word. Just so you know, Jesus has no problem calling our sin evil. And if you go to John 7, 7, he says, hey, you want to know why the reason why the world hates me, guys? It's because because what I tell them they do is evil. So if you just want to know what Jesus' opinion of your sin is, of my sin and all sin, he labels it with a four-letter word. Evil. That's his opinion. That's his thought. That's his. That's Jesus speaking his truth. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now, there are many sin lists like this in the Bible. We could go and pick out others, but I just want you to hear from Jesus' mouth himself some things, some of the things that he describes as sin. So he says, "This is the world's sin." However. I do want you to notice what he says. He says, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Now, Jesus says, this is the big sin. This is the real sin. And I say this to you as followers of Jesus, because remember, we are the one bearing, te bearing testimony about Jesus in the world. I want you to remember that. Now, so often when we who are doing our best to share the gospel with people. People come to us with their problems. They come to us with their sin. And the proclivity is to fix what? To fix their sin, right? Whether like they're lying, whether they're stealing, whether they're cheating, whether they're gossiping, like whatever they're doing, we get so laser focused on that particular sin and we try to fix that sin, all right? I mean, that is like trying to put a Band-Aid on the cut of an arm of someone whose leg has just been chopped off. Like, that's what we're trying to fix. Like They're bleeding out, dying, and it's like, oh, oh, oh hold on, you got this briar scratch over here on your arm. 
let me put a Band-Aid over here where the whole time their leg is laying flayed off to the side and it's like, ah, you know, the, the arm is what we need to fix. That, that's what we're trying to do in this whole thing. Because Jesus wants us to know. He wants you to know. He wants us to remember. The Holy Spirit will call this to remembrance is that when we're engaging with people, the main issue that we're dealing with when it comes to the world and be, and non-believers is that they don't believe in Jesus. Well, what does it mean that they don't believe in Jesus? Well, it's very simple. If you ask people, do you think you will go to heaven when you die? Of course, most people will say yes. And if you ask them that three-letter question, why? The number one answer you will get almost every single time is some form and fashion of because I'm a good person. Now, they might not say a good person, but they will begin to tell you all the good things they have done that would then grant them entrance into God's eternal glory. So what is that person trusting in? What are they believing in to get into heaven? Their own good works. Where the Bible says, when it calls us to believe in Jesus, it calls us to believe in two aspects of Jesus. The person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. Believing that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Believing that He stepped down out of heaven, down onto the earth, and for 30 plus years, lived a completely righteous life, had never sinned. That way, he could then become the perfect sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice, to where he willingly goes upon the cross to be, to be crucified for our sin, to then be buried, proving that he has power over sin, death, and hell, and now he rules and reigns from on high. When the Bible calls us to believe, it's calling us to believe, to trust in Jesus' work alone, Jesus' person and Jesus' work alone for our sin, having no hope in any good that we do. We do good out of what Jesus has done for us, but we don't believe, we don't trust, not in one single thing. There's not a backup plan of going, all right, I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm going to do this whole Jesus thing my whole life, but just in case, I'm going to have all these backup works in case His work wasn't sufficient, so I can at least take my own list and present it to the Father, and maybe that'll get me in. That is not, that is not sufficient. The, what the Bible teaches, what Jesus is saying right here, the chief sin of the world is because it does not believe in the person of Jesus and in the work of Jesus to be completely sufficient for salvation and to be granted into the kingdom of God. That is the world's primary sin. And we need to remember that because we are engaging dead people. The person you are talking with who is not a believer, they are not alive, though it looks like it. You know, it's that whole Sixth Sense movie, right? You know, like some of you, anybody, anybody? Okay, okay. I didn't know if that was like too much, too, too far gone. Too old. For, too old, yeah. I mean, whew. Okay, if you hadn't seen it, it'll make sense. Go watch it. It's, it's Halloween. Go watch it. Okay, so they're dead. They don't see this. They don't understand. that. They think their biggest issue is the problem right in front of them. Their biggest issue that they need you to point out to them, that only the Holy Spirit can, can, can show them and bring to them, is that 
they are in debt and their only hope in this life and in the next life is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their sin. That's it. The second thing that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is responsible for in the world is to convict it of its righteousness. Okay, so you got to have the air quotes for this one because the, there are people, there, the, the world justifies its, its righteousness, right? And, and this, is, this is an ever-moving target. You're going to see it shift throughout your lifetime. There are things right now that the, the world would say is wrong that one day in your lifetime as you get older like me, they're going to say is right. I mean, no more glaring example of that is what we see around the issues of marriage and sexuality. I mean, I don't care where you grew up in America in the late 70s and the early 80s, even through the early 90s. I mean, to where culture has gotten to, to where it accepts this idea that anything outside the bounds of marriage is acceptable when it comes to sexual morality, that, that we would get to this place where every human being is now told it's up to you to discover, determine, discern, and decide who you are and whoever you decide you are. If you, if once you claim this identity, for anyone to tell you that's wrong or not right or you're mistaken, to tell them that you're wrong, that you are now in sin. You have violated the world's righteousness by telling someone there is an objective standard that disagrees wholeheartedly what they have decided for themselves. I mean, you, you've got to understand for the people of my generation and maybe Kevin's generation, but older, like, like that, 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 this so foreign to us. It's as foreign as this. If you would have ever told the six-year-old version of me that one day, Humanity would willingly, multiple times a day, while being at Disney World, pay $6 for a bottle of water? <laughs> I would have told you the world had gone mad. My generation drank from the fountain and the water hose. Okay? And we never got sick for it. That's why we have built up immunities and all of you are gluten intolerant. Okay? <laughs> all right? That's why you all got problems, because you did not drink out of the water hose. But if you would have told this, I mean, and so there's this ever-moving target of righteousness. It's always moving. It's always shifting. You're going to see it. It's going to go different places. And so the world is always going to uphold these things. This is righteousness. But yet, this is going to hold to a different standard of righteousness. And this is our standard of righteousness. This is our truth. We, we believe every word in this book. We believe this is the truth of God. We believe this is the word of God given to us for our sanctification, for our benefit, for our living out this life. We cannot listen to what the world says is righteous. The world does not understand righteousness. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, He understands righteousness. The third thing that we see in today's passage concerning this section of Scripture and the conviction of the world, Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, convicts of righteousness 
and it convicted of its judgment. Jesus was judged wrongly, and in that, Satan has been judged eternally. And also, you will be judged. I love this passage from Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I wish I had time to, to read the whole thing. And it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. On that cross, Satan was judged. On that cross, Jesus disarmed the heavenly rulers and the heavenly authorities and the heavenly powers upon the cross. Satan has been judged, but there is a judgment coming for every human, every human being according to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 26b through 28. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the, uh, of the ages to put away sin, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as, as it appointed man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. See, the Holy Spirit is responsible for convicting the world of its judgment. And I know the world has made up all kind of crazy, asinine things about hell not being real. But it's a lie. It's a lie straight from the pit of hell because there is a judgment coming for the world. And the Holy Spirit has a great responsibility in convicting the world that there is a judgment to come for them. But what we cannot forget in this whole endeavor as He convicts the world of its sin, its righteousness, and its judgment, we also bear that cross to make that proclamation. We can't just sit silent and think, well, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's got it taken care of. He's God. I'm not. I bear no responsibility in this. Because just as we saw last week in the passage in 15, 26 and 27, it said, but when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. We bear the same responsibility as the Holy Spirit to proclaim to the world its sin, its righteousness, and its judgment to come. The third thing that we get here in verses 12 through 15 is that the Holy Spirit reveals the truth and exalts the Son. Now, I'm going to use a big term here. You may be familiar with this term. This may be a new term for you. It's the term called deference, right? It's to defer to one another. I think one of the things you should really uh, note in the relationship of the Trinity between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is that of deference. And we see it spoken of um, right here, and I'll point it out. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said to you that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. Jesus is sent by the Father. Now, you know as well as I do, we as human beings, we do not like being told what to do. But yet, within the Godhead, there is this perfect unity within the Godhead that when the Father sends the Son, the Son willingly goes. And look at the benefit it has been to all of us that the Son was willing to defer to show deference to the Father to be willing to come and be offered as a sacrifice on our behalf. Look at the Holy Spirit who is sent by the Father and the Son into the world. Look at the advantage it is to us and to our lives. When, when, when they defer, when they show deference to one another, it is this beautiful picture. It is one of those things. I will just say this, because we're going to get back to your relationships maybe here in just a minute. Whenever you are talking about your understanding and your satisfaction of your relationship, or if you're going to get in a relationship, learning to show deference to one another that is the Trinitarian example which will make your relationships a million times better. And if you don't believe me, just ask all the people who've been married for a little bit of time. First year of marriage, Daniel wouldn't have understood that. 20 year of marriage, Daniel understands that. But the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into the truth. But it also says in verse, 10, verse 14, He is responsible to glorify and exalt the Son. The role and the job of the Holy Spirit is this. It is to be Christ-centered. He is to draw attention to Jesus. He is all about magnifying Jesus. And so for you, as you seek the Holy Spirit, as you search the Holy Spirit, as you press into the Holy Spirit, as you try to understand the Holy Spirit, as you go and read things about the Holy Spirit, if you get on YouTube and watch things about the Holy Spirit, if you listen to sermons about the Holy Spirit, the thing that you've got to keep in mind, and this is like this is as foundational as it gets for you for the rest of your life when you are dealing with the Holy Spirit, you have to ask yourself when you hear this and when you see this, are the people who are talking about this and promoting this, is the end result magnifying and glorifying Jesus? Or is it magnifying and glorifying the gift, the sign, and the wonder? If the magnification is the sign, the gift, and the wonder, run. Run as far as you can and take as many people with you. But if the sign, if the miracle, if the wonder is all about the exaltation of King Jesus, you stay there. And while you're staying there, because you're not going to want to leave, you get on your cell phone, you call all of us, because we want to come join you. That's when we know we're in the right spot. That's when you know you have found a place. And there are places like this. It's unfamiliar to us, to a lot of us. It's very unfamiliar to me. But yet to my Baptocostal friends, to my Pentecostal friends, 
and some of my, my more sane, charismatic friends. Amen, Josh Federer? It's an amazing and powerful endeavor and encounter. And so now having heard me preach and teach on the Holy Spirit this morning, and now having heard everything that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, you, you have a complete foundational theology of what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. And this should always be the foundation from which you build your theology upon the Holy Spirit. We'll go back to that original list, Austin, if you'll throw it up on the screen. And this is just what I will challenge you with this week as you go out into your life, as you go out into your gospel community groups, is how satisfied are you with your relationship with the Holy Spirit? How well do you feel like you understand the Holy Spirit? What is your interest in the things of the Spirit? And how hard are you seeking out the Holy Spirit? I would encourage you for the sake of your, sake of your own sanctification to move the needle in the coming days. Make a more intense effort to pray to the Spirit, to ask the Spirit to reveal Himself to you, to reveal truth to you, to magnify Jesus to you. Don't be afraid of the Spirit. In the same way that you believe in Jesus and have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, trust in and believe the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth wants to work in you and through you for the glory and for the magnification of King Jesus. And if you pursue Him well, you will see Jesus more magnified in your life and in your family and throughout all the generations.